Well, if you're first, just first joining us, right? and uh, this is your first Sunday in the sanctuary set up like this, it's intentional. We're talking about covenant relationships framed by God's covenant promise with us. And the very first covenant, I mean, maybe this could be argued, uh, but what's the first covenant that you remember in, uh, in Scripture? It's in Genesis, and uh, hanging up are really big hints. Okay, what's what's the first covenant God makes? Yeah, Noah and the rainbow. I set my bow in the cloud. So maybe you came here this morning wondering what liberal congregation you belong to or your family belongs to. What, what type of statement are they trying to make? We are making a statement that God's covenant was set in the sky for us, right? And that God's covenant is for all generations. And so today we heard the story of how God's rainbow covenant comes through Abraham to come to all descendants. So is the rainbow controversial? Yes, it is. Because God's love goes to endless generations, even the generations we do not like. God's rainbow promises Cover all of the earth, even the parts of the earth that we do not like. And God's rainbow is set in the sky over our lives, even the parts of the lives that we do not like. And this is what the Apostle Paul was speaking about in the message that Christy read for us. It is grace. And so hanging here is a statement on grace. Grace and it's for you. (laughs) Well, praise be to God. So, covenant relationships. Here we go. We're going to continue this. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to come to Mark 8, verse 31 through 38. I have two stories for you this morning. I confess to you that I have gone to bed at 1 a.m. three consecutive nights in a row. And that my mornings on two of those three days started at 5 a.m., okay? I'm going on very little sleep. I told my wife, I'm glad you're not in the sanctuary this morning because I have a feeling I'm going to ramble. (laughs) I don't like to ramble. I don't want to ramble. So if you catch me rambling, I confess that it's because I'm really, really tired, okay? And you can just kind of give me a wink or a get on with it, pastor, okay? And I won't be offended just know, I'm just being, okay, thank you, Will. Get on with it. Mark chapter 8. Thank you. That's what I mean. Verse 31. I want to tell you two stories this morning. The first one is one I will read to you. The next one is one I will tell you. Okay. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders the leading priest, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise again, or rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples And in front of his disciples, he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. Ouch. 
you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Listen, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, listen, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news of the gospel, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. There's another story. It happens in Mark 14. It's a little bit later. In this story, there's a woman there. She doesn't have a name. She's the unnamed woman. She finds Jesus where he is. He's in the house of a former leper, a leper that had been healed by his ministry. And they're sharing a meal together. And this unnamed woman is drawn to the scene. Something compels her within. She can't help it. There's something, uh, I, I dare say, attractive about what is happening at this table. And she's carrying with her an entire year's wages in perfume. It's a custom of burial. It's what you would do when preparing someone that had already died. You wouldn't put it on a living body. Jeff, you would put it on a, on a dead body. But she had it nonetheless. And I don't even know, Liz, if she could quite articulate what she was doing there. She just kind of showed up. Maybe similar to me on Friday morning, I found myself doing what I'm doing right now, <laughs> talking out loud, walking around. <laughs> I don't know how I really got here. I just ended up here. I just was here. I was down, I was down in post, and then I just kind of, I just felt like I needed to be here. I don't really know, I wasn't planned. I just kind of came. I just found myself here. I wonder if this lady, if she just found herself around Jesus, like all roads kept leading to Jesus for her. And no matter what she would try to do, she just couldn't get away from Jesus. And so here she has this 300, 300 denarii. That's an entire year's worth of rages in, in, in perfume. And she cannot stay away from Jesus. And so as her heart longs for him, she finds herself at his feet, dumping this perfume on a live body. This is what you did to the dead, not to the living. But there's something about Jesus that this woman got. She was so in tune with the heart of this man that she found herself participating within God's divine mission, not even knowing what she was doing. She was so in tune with the man that had her heart. She was participating in God's will, preparing Jesus for his death. Those words, did they not sting you? Get behind me, Satan. Did it not strike you at the heart? You have your mind set on human things, not on divine things. Jesus shares with Peter 
the plans of the good news. The gospel. That God's covenant has come for you. And Peter sets him aside. Listen, Jesus. Um, that was a good teaching and all. Nathan says that to me sometimes. Like three times in my time being here. So three times I've taught you well, okay? He'll say, he'll say, good teaching. <laughs> I think Peter brought, brought Jesus aside. That's a good teaching, Jesus. That's a good teaching. Um, but I don't think you mean what you're saying. <laughs> just a friendly word, just a gracious rebuke here, Jesus. Just from my heart. Do you know who I am? I'm Peter. The whole church will be set upon me. The whole Catholic church will uh, descend from me. Jesus, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm a big deal, okay? Um, yeah, I'm St. Peter. The next time a pope has my name, that will, that will represent when you're coming back again. So in some ways, I'm initiating you. So Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but I have the right to tell you that you can't talk like that. This is not, listen, I have been preparing my whole life for the Messiah, and Messiahs don't die like this. This type of posture is one saved for a criminal. See, I don't think you understand I understand. I am Peter. Don't you know who I am? My whole life I've lived in the realm of the church. Listen, you can't talk like that. Did it not sting you? To hear Jesus turn to the one who had rationalized his faith. Have we rationalized ours? To where you'll only accept it if you can make sense of it. And if you can't make sense of it, if you can't duplicate it, if you can't imitate it, then you push it aside. Dare I say, maybe you rebuke it. Have we rationalized our faith to where the very image of Christ fits comfortably within a human realm? And we can compartmentalize it even when we do that. We can call upon it when we need it. We can write Facebook posts upon it when we need to rebuke somebody. We can pull scriptures out and use them as our own defense. When we've rationalized the faith, we don't actually have to live within it. We don't actually have to, our hearts don't have to belong to it, right? Our minds can't explain it so we can teach it. And we can guard it. And we can make sure no one treads upon it. Because I am the great understander of the word. And so I know how to tell you if you've got it right or you've got it wrong. That is a very enlightened viewpoint taught to us by the enlightenment given to us by a human point of view. And Peter nails it. He has a great human understanding of the Messiah. I don't think Peter understands rainbows, though. I don't think Peter understands Abram or Sarai. 
I think what Peter understands is greatness and vengeance and justice and getting back for all the people that misunderstood whom he was following. He's going to make a name for himself when Jesus proves to everyone else he's the Messiah. And then Peter can ride into the coattails of the one who stands upon the steps of the empire and Peter can drink it in because finally he got his due. The Messiah has been inaugurated. Listen to him. Look at him. He's great and I'm his right hand man. What I don't think that Peter quite understands is that God makes 99-year-old barren women have babies. And God puts LGBTQ symbols in the sky. I don't think Peter can quite wrap his mind around that. that. That God is the God of resurrection. That God is the God of one that works beyond. And just at the moment that the human mind stops thinking and cannot process, the moment that the galaxies end for us, God begins to recreate more and more and more and speak life into things that cannot possibly happen. God is the God of Gentiles. This would wreck Peter's viewpoint. It does. It does. Acts chapter 10. Read it. Rex's viewpoint. Whew. Okay. And so Jesus tells Peter, you have your mind set on the things that you can rationalize and the things that you can understand. But I want you to set your mind on divine things, things that live in mystery, things that rest in promise. Like Abram, who Paul says in Romans that he just simply believed that God would do what he said he would do. Friend, when did you stop believing? At the point of trauma? When did you stop believing that God would that God, that God is just something to rationalize. When did, he, when did God and Jesus stop living in mystery? Able to heal you. Able to resurrect you. Able to redeem you. Able to save you. Right? Jesus had the power to recreate you. To make you new. Where when he promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you, it touched such a string in your heart that you took him for the word and you walked through your days with such faith that you just knew that God was for you. Friend, when did we stop believing like the woman with the jar. You know what she was doing? She was the very first disciple. She was the very first disciple that helped prepare Jesus for death and took him for his word when this was too scandalous for his day in and day out disciples to actually believe what he was saying. 
Oh, there's a word for us in that. You've walked with Jesus every day since I've seen you. You have been faithful. You've sat in these seats. You have walked with him. I have walked with Jesus every day that you have known me. How can we be so faithless, friend? That we can show up from week to week and think that this moment is about an hour. This moment is about a, about a point where you need to understand what I'm telling you. Where you need to rationalize and come away with three key points. You would hate this church if you really believed that because I can't speak in three key points. It's not possible. I have ADD. I go from one point to the other real fast. Sometimes they make no sense. I think I can cut hair. Okay. Uh, (laughs) When? (laughs) When did faith become about knowing? And and, and not not the woman's type of knowledge, Peter's type of knowledge. When did... When did church become about knowing exactly what verse and what chapter Noah's Ark was in? And if you knew that, then you're good. And if you could get your hind end up out of the seat quicker than your peers and you could answer the Bible quizzing questions, then you were good. When did it come about that? When did faith become about only the moral choices in which you made when you voted? It, it sounds like Peter... That sounds like someone who knows what they know and there's no room for any other type of mystery or understanding that it is black and white. End of story. I am so drawn to this woman because I don't live like that. So I'll stop talking about you. I'll talk about me, okay? That seems to work around here better. I'm drawn to her because I'm not like her. Oh, what I see in her is August 27th, 2014. That's what I see in this woman. That's the day that I boldly and bravely, Donnie, said, I'll stand by the foot of the bed and help deliver Hadley. I got this. (laughs) There's a picture of me. You should come over. There was a photographer in the room, and she took, like, she took a picture of my face the moment that Hadley was born into this world. You would think that she would be taking a picture of Hadley, but she's not. She took a picture of the father. Mr. Brave Man is sitting at the foot of the bed. We don't know the gender of the child. We have two names. It's Hadley or Samuel. It's one or the other. And uh, oh, one of the nurses happened to be our, our friend from the congregation that we went to at the time. And so uh, she's actually with the doctor. She's like the lead nurse. And the doctor is pulling the baby out, and uh, the nurse is there receiving. And my face is the most perfect mix of all of the mysteries of the world. (laughs) The greatest mysteries you'll never know. And the greatest joy in which you'll ever feel. My, I think my eyes are crossed, but for some, I don't remember crossing my eyes, but I think my eyes are crossed and my mouth is like. 
It's the the most amazing, terrifying thing I've ever seen in my whole life. This woman reminds me of August 27, 2014, when I came to know love in ways I've never known. I was so drawn to that child that I stood there and just stared at her for the longest time while the doctor had her legs spread so I could name the gender. And I'm just looking at her for the longest time. The doctor finally goes, hey, name it, dude. And I uttered those words. Oh, my gosh. Babe, that's Hadley Jean. Ah, it's either going to be Samuel Robert or it was going to be Hadley Jean. I'm so glad it was Hadley Jean. Oh, I'm so glad. That woman, she reminds me. She reminds me of that time. Um, a June 26th. All good things happen in the summer. June 26, 2010. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You should have seen my face. Praise God, no one took a picture of my face on this day. They only took pictures of Jenny. That's weird. No one really cared. It's like I was an accessory. <laughs> I really cared about me at all. In fact, speaking of haircuts, you should go look at my wedding picture. Why did they let me wear my hair like that? But no one cared. No one stopped to say, hey, you really need to look nice. It was all about, no one really. It's like, oh, the groom's here. Plug him in. <laughs> So no one took a picture of my face that day. But if someone took a picture of my face that day, you would see equal parts of scared out of my mind. I had no idea what love was. But I just knew that the hands of the one that I was holding, that I could not ever hold those hands. I had no idea about love. I'll tell you some other day, like Jenny and I told KP and, Uh, Rochelle the other day. I'll tell you the story someday about how that was a blind step of faith in some ways. I was so anxious. The other day I came into the house and I saw Jenny and my heart skipped a beat. Like August 27th skip a beat, you know? You know the love you have for your children. It's just different, right? I saw my wife in the way that I see Hadley like that love in which I would lay down in front of the next oncoming vehicle if it required it. Without question, I'd just give my life. And I walked in, and I saw Jenny. This was like three weeks ago. I walked in, and I saw Jenny. And she was standing behind the counter making a snack for the kids. And I'm going to tell you a word, and I'm going to regret that I said it, and you're going to be really creeped out by it. But here's, this, this is what I said, okay? I said, oh, babe, I long for you. I wish every day was like that. Not every day has been like that. Mostly for her. (laughs) I told the kids at youth retreat this week that uh, uh, me and Drew were giving each other back rubs. Me and Drew were. It was real awkward for everybody. And uh, me and Drew were giving each other back rubs. And I looked at Kevin and Dana, you know, Kevin and Dana. One day they may go this route. I I looked at Kevin and Dana and and I said, hey, listen. Back rubs are not always like this. This is why I'm getting a back rub from Drew, because right now Jenny won't even touch my back. I'll say, honey, can you give me a back scratch? And she'll like limp arm it. She'll like, uh, uh, uh. And that's it. That's what I get. That happened about the second week after marriage to the current day. Not every day has been a, ooh, oh, I, I, I just want to be around you. Can I come hug you? I just, I just want to touch you, babe. I love you. This is seven and a half years in. What is happening? When I think about this woman, I think about a life 
that has lived full heart, full heartedly, all the way in, before she even knows what she's doing. She's at the feet of her Savior, making ready his death. Something Peter could not fathom. It couldn't even cross his mind. So he rebuked the Son of God. This woman asked no questions. It's the other thing I love about this passage. Is this woman has no name. But what does Jesus say about her? That whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, she will be remembered. The one without the name becomes greater than the first pope. Sounds like something else Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 48. Maybe it's 42. At the end of chapter 10. The greatest amongst you will be the least. And the least amongst you will be the greatest. And so that whenever the gospel of our Lord Christ is proclaimed, it is the woman in a patriarchal society in which women had no authority. It is the woman that leads you. Come on, ladies. Pastor now, come on. You can do it. God's given you the authority to do it. Pastor now. Amongst you will be the one without any name. And she will be the greatest. It's the one in which the whole church will be built that just cannot get it. But there's grace for him too. And so what does this woman remind me of? It reminds me of people that talk with Jesus without abandonment. It reminds me of people that will go to the Lord even though it doesn't make sense and talk to someone you cannot see. Give of your resources to an institution that God says is representative of His Son and this is very bright. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. You can't control it when you do that. Man, that is a mystery why people give 10% of their income to the church. Blows me out of the water. But it's what is asked of us. And it is a mystery. Could you imagine being so in love with God's mission that you would give it to such a broken place like New Beginnings Church? But you're so in love. Could you imagine not trying to think about what you need to do to live the difficult life of the cross, but falling at the feet of the most difficult thing you could fall at and saying, Lord, shape me. You teach me. You want to know the most difficult thing that you'll do is believe in prayer. That's the most difficult thing because it goes against every grain of our culture that prayer actually forms you, that prayer actually shapes you, that when tragedy happens and you respond, I'm praying for you, that you mean it and that you hit your knees and you don't stop praying. That's the hardest thing that you will ever do because it makes no sense to us. It makes zero sense to us. We want to know how to put it into action. We don't actually trust that God is the God of rainbows that will be there for the people that we promise we're praying for. It is the most powerful thing you can do is to live your life like the woman who cannot stay away. And so she ends up participating in the very depth of God's mission. 
We talk so often about being missional, Liz. We want to be missional. We want to get outside the church. We want to do something. And I look at this woman, and she does it. She's participating in God's mission for God's son to give his life for the whole world, preparing him for his death, the first disciple to do it. And she has no idea what she's doing. How does she know to do the right thing? And that's a hard thing. That's a very hard thing. She did the most difficult thing. She prepared a living person for death. You don't get harder than that. But that wasn't out of her own imagination. That wasn't her sitting home thinking about, hey, how can I actually do the faith? She talked to God. She walked with God. She recognized the sound of his voice. She knew the touch of his hand and the smell of his fragrance. So she threw all of herself at his feet without second thought. The ushers, if a couple of people would help me. I want to pass these out. If just Maybe, Roger, could you help me? Uh, yeah, Mark, thanks. I just want everyone to have a chance to have a pen and a piece of paper, okay? And there's pens up here. Uh, when you guys get done with the papers, maybe you can just pass those around, okay? And today, as we prepare ourselves to receive of the Eucharist, I want us to ready our hearts with confession. And by ready our hearts, I think we need to empty them. We need to empty our hearts. This is the power of confession. Not that you tell people your deepest, darkest secrets. Not that you come to a pastor and you whisper to a pastor all the bad things you've done and I tell you how many Hail Marys to say. This isn't, this isn't what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is living like the woman with the fragrance who gives all of her life and heart to the Lord. And if you're like me, I have too many questions sometimes. I love entertainment too much sometimes to give Jesus all of my heart. And I think I need to be brave and bold to confess that Jesus, the reason that I stumble upon the cross is because I'm in too much in love with myself. I believe too much in my own intellect. So what I would like us to do today is I'm going to lead us through a confessional prayer and then I want to invite you to just confess on your piece of paper your heart to give the Lord all of your heart. And whatever you might feel led to confess, to God be the glory. Would you walk like the woman with the fragrance, giving all of your life? And so I'll invite us when we're done with the liturgy, I'll invite us to come, grab a thumbtack, and to put that piece of paper right on the cross. Don't you love how this was in the way this morning? Yeah, just stumble over this thing the rest of your life. And uh, just put, get through shade, right? Low-hanging fruit. Okay. Well, after that, then I would like you to, to do what we did last week. You'll go out, right? I'll invite you to come forward, to tap, tack your confession to go out. The servers will be standing at this table. You'll come around. If you have a gift to give the church, if you want to participate in the gifts of offering, I would invite you to do so. There'll be offering plates at the altar. As you come around, you may place your gift there. You may give it later. You may drop it in a box. You may give it when no one else is looking, if that makes you awkward, okay? But you could drop your gift there at the offering plates and then come, receive the Eucharist at the table, 
and then make your way to your seat again. We'll sing the doxology. We'll praise God for his grace for stubborn people like me. I'll tell you a few announcements and then we'll go into the world, hopefully to live as the woman with all the trust in the universe. My sisters and brothers, in the shadow of the cross, and as we prepare to eat of this table, it's good that we should call to mind our sins and seek God's promised forgiveness together. So would you ready your hearts and confess on your sheets of paper for the poverty of our worship, for the unbelief and hesitating witness and our blindness to what you would have us to be and to do. Would you confess about the poverty of your worship and your hesitation for your witness? Confess with me, brothers and sisters, for imagining ourselves to be at the center of the world and for seeking security in the works of our own hands and minds. for the waste of your gifts and for letting so little of your love pass through to others by relieving their sufferings and injustices that they endure. Confess with me. response to my reading is Christ have mercy Lord have mercy Lord have mercy God has promised forgiveness of sins to those who repent and turn in faith so may God keep us in grace by the Holy Spirit, lead us to greater faith and trust and bring us in peace to eternal life. And it is in the power and authority of this name, the name of Jesus Christ, that I tell you, friends, your sins, everything you've written on that paper, in an instant, they are forgiven.